can we have a computer system automatically choose, not only can it optimize the solution, but it can figure out what data it needs, produce an optimized decision, and then I can let it go and continue to operate to improve whatever I'm trying to improve. So that's the evolution from data to statistics to analytics, and then finally to what we called AI. It gets back to how do I make decisions easier. You're giving the right data to the right people at the right time as best as you can. Not perfect yet by any means, but still it's a powerful notion because they can make better decisions ultimately. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. I'm Roman Segel, recovering marketer. And I'm Andrew Tarvin, humor engineer. Roman and I both got our start at PNG, the Procter & Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PNG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know, but want to know more about. It's kind of like being a fly on the wall for my mentoring coffees. Show, we're talking to PNG alumni leader Franz Dill, retired PNG technologist and independent consultant in AI and analytics. And our conversation today is a little bit different than our normal format. Today, rather than do a deeper dive into Franz's career, we're instead going to take advantage of his experience and expertise in technology to talk about a subject that is seemingly popping up everywhere, which is artificial intelligence slash AI. Note, we are making this conversation, recording this conversation on March 24th, 2023, and with the rapid advancement within the field of technology, we recognize that some things may already be out of date by the time this hits your ears, but there's still a lot in here that makes a lot of sense. Now, before we jump in, here's a quick bio on Franz. He, for over 30 years, Franz worked at the Procter & Gamble Company, where he acted as a chief scientist for analytics and as an emergent technologist. He founded PNG's groundbreaking contextual innovation centers. He established the company's Web 2.0 capabilities. He wrote one of the most read blogs in the organization and was also a member of the Cognitive Alliance Analysis Council. He retired in March of 2008 and is now an active consultant in business intelligence and marketing, retail innovation, AI, and business process improvement. He's also consulted with groups like GE Aviation and as an adjunct professor in Columbia University. He has a degree in astrophysics from the University of Pennsylvania and a master's in industrial mathematics from the University of Florida. As always, please reach out with your thoughts and ideas at pglumpod at gmail.com. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Franz, welcome to the show. Very good, Drew. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Now, I shared a little bit about your bio, but you spent more than 30 years at PNG with some pretty cool job titles. So I'm curious if you could give us just a high level. What did you actually do at PNG as a chief scientist and as an emergent technologist? Well, when I arrived at PNG, I really got to see a lot of company data, data that they were using to drive different kinds of decisions, decisions like how do you market to people? What ads do you put on TV? Hundreds of different kinds of decisions. And that's the thing that I did for my entire career, which is to say, we've got the data or we can get the data. We can utilize that data to make better decisions. And what are the better decisions? Help me get to the right decisions 
and do them in the way that makes me more money, makes me operate better, more cleanly, whatever it might be. And that's the thing that I came in to do. Now, what's, what's interesting about that whole thing is that another technology came along, it, it had been there a long time, but it, but, it, but, it, but it came along, and that was statistics, which is to say, not only do we have the data, but how can we look for trends in the data? How can we, we measure that data in various ways to help make the decisions? With statistics, now can I introduce something called analytics? And analytics in general was a way to optimize, find the best decisions in new ways, typically mathematical ways, to figure out, take the data from the statistics that could provide us one look at the data, but now the, op the optimization that existed within analytics could allow you to say, I'm going to find the best decisions, or, and this is the part that really intrigued me was, it's not only that the system would make better decisions, but could, could I try to figure out what data could, would be best to be shown? So that was the next move. So it was from, from data to statistics, then to analytics. And long about 1980, someone came up with another idea in a sense, it is, again, a sense of a, a new, not a new, completely new idea was to say, can we have a computer system automatically choose uh, the best decision. In other words, not only can it optimize the solution, but it can figure out what data it needs, produce an optimized de decision, and then I can let it go and continue to operate to improve whatever I'm trying to improve within the corporation. So that's the evolution from data to statistics to analytics, and then finally to what we called AI. I say that that last one sounds like this concept within AI that we talk about, right? So you have information, which we turn into data, which we turn into like, okay, how do we then, what do we need to know to make a decision? What does this, the data suggest that decision should be to now this goal of like, can we give this to this magic box that like right. answers this question for us? And it's the best answer or the right answer or the, the thing right. that's going to help us to solve this problem or move, ship these units or improve sales, et cetera. And so you're saying that that was already at the forefront in the eighties. Is that in right? In the eighties, it was talked about. Now it wasn't, a, it would certainly didn't, I wouldn't say it succeeded. In fact, that was the beginning of what many people call the long AI winter was, was in the 1980s. In other words, everybody had the feeling that we could get there, but no one could really show you how to get there. In other words, it was the same problem. You had to gather lots of data. You had to manipulate it using analytics. Sometimes you found some solutions. And the point at which you sort of dropped it off for the, for the, for the sort of automated analytical system was, was where you wanted, wanted the... AI. And again, AI is, is strong term. The assumption that a system is intelligent or sentient in some way or, or can do a lot of work that, that an individual could do is still not necessarily solved. But this is a way to say, okay, now I can give it to the system and the system will operate on its own to some degree. And even if it doesn't come up with the absolute best solution, we, we, we came into a lot of these kinds of things. It might not come into the very best solution, but it would come to a solution that will be very good that an individual, a human might not have found for all sorts of different reasons. In fact, we built a number of systems like that 
that would address would go through the data, perhaps talk to someone who entered different kinds of other data that it needed, and then come to an, an ultimate solution that would provide a, a, a result and then go from there. And so those are the kinds of things that we, we started up with. And those simple, simple kinds of systems, we built dozens of them. So part of the system, and this is also a big part of, of, of AI as it, as it is currently emerging today is, it's a lot of data, it's a lot of text, it's a lot of stuff that's been learned in the past, but the problem is, how do I find the right data? And so we built a, we built all sorts of wiki type systems. But the problem with that approach is that you have to have someone maintain the data. So you have to have someone responsible for the data about supply chain in Western Europe, for example, some some topic, okay, some generalized topic, and they have to be responsible for it. It has to be updated continually to make sure that they're not making decisions based upon incorrect or, or stale data, if you will. So that's another part of this whole problem. And that problem really existed all the way through the analytics, statistics, and into AI. Even if AI has the wrong data, it's going to make the wrong decisions. And we're seeing some of that today. The, the goal, it seems like in many ways for AI is to help us make better decisions, at least in the context of, say, business. There's other goals that you may have with AI, but it's okay. How do we how do we take what we know as happen, data, information, et cetera, and then use that to drive future action or drive future creation in some ways? And so you mentioned that the, the artificial intelligence as a term is maybe perhaps a little bit of a ambitious way to describe right. it because ultimately artificial intelligence at its high level there's a great blog post from Bill Gates that breaks down where we're at in this phrase <laughs> frame and he says that AI as a whole is really just about machines learning how to do a specific task it's like yeah. about an individual thing with which one that's really popular right now is generative AI that's a specific type of AI where the goal is how do you create content based off of prompts and text and images based off of what is called large language models right these a deep learning algorithm that can recognize summarize translate a whole bunch of text as a form of data and other forms of data. And then build off of almost a predictive text like in some ways it seems like it's like the predictive text that we've had on our phone for years where it's like you type the word the so you think it's going to be this next. But, but, is that but, an accurate lay of the land of yeah, where we're an, at right it's now? It's an accurate layer layout, but what what's quote given us a feeling anyway that, that we can we can take this uh, solution, this AI solution, and run with it is to say it turns out that we can create these large language models it, such that they are fed by lots and lots of data, and that data is data starts with something as simple as what words follow the next words follow the next words statistically uh, over a, a huge corpus of data of data so that allows us to say and, and, and it would it could even that we could do that 15 years ago in a sense but we couldn't do it well enough and we could do things like predicting that if i use the word if this word the next word that i'm likely to use is this other word by a very high percentage. Okay, it was there were simple things, and so you started seeing things like grammar checkers, for example, and and, and the different kinds of word use checking, for example, on on capabilities on your computer, for example, and that gave you those kinds of simple things. But now, if I could connect many many words and whole groups of words in a particular context, 
uh, now I can start saying, oh, this looks like this, and this, these, this is the way this is proceeding. And I can pull out that whole string and utilize it as a chunk of knowledge that I can therefore utilize to drive some sort of decision. Now, again, it still can be wrong at some levels, uh, but to a large degree, they're amazingly predictive that we can do those kinds of things generatively to say, I can predict those things and I could even write, write out things. So I can tell it something, something to, to write a, a document about what's going on in, in Eastern Europe today with regards to how, to how to get stuff shipped from A to B, for example. And so what it seems like is like we're not at the, despite the, the pretty impressive capabilities of what we see with things like ChatGBT or now mm -hmm. what's integrated into the Bing and what's coming out from other places, is that it is, it's not sentient, even though there's that story about like, ah, the AI is acting and saying that it has right. feelings. It's like, well, it was, it was taught to do that. That's pulling from text to, to pull that. So we're not, we're not yet at, I think what some people refer to is artificial general intelligence, where yeah, it's like yeah. computers right. are, the, it's, right. it's the equivalent of a human brain. It's learning completely on its own right. in a bunch of different areas. It's like, no, chat GBT is still limited to chat and, and, content creation essentially right. is that it's just pulling together text and images and other things together and so i i guess so one we're, we're still ways off from terminator type artificial general right. intelligence right. not even in we don't know necessarily that it would be positive or negative but what what is different now what why is it that even over the past couple of months does this feel like it's so big if this is something that we have been doing for a little while what is different well, compared to now versus yeah. the past yeah, what's, what's happened is we have more data and we have a, a technology which, which really wasn't available back in the, in the analytics days or, or was just beginning to be available actually, which was neural nets. And this is a way to, to basically predict the inputs and the outputs based upon sort of a minimal amount of data. Now, still a lot of data. I'm not suggesting that this is gonna be done completely easily, but, but it's a minimal amount of data. So I can start doing things like forecasting, for example, plugged in to that data. And I can basically, certainly I can, I can predict the future word you're gonna use, but can I predict the future of coffee Let's say, let's just again leave the coffee example, which was just a lot of, we did a lot of work in that area. And I'm using it now because PNG no longer makes coffee. So, so it's a little bit non-sensitive here. Uh, but, but, never, but nevertheless, the actual prediction of, let's say, the, the cost of coffee in, in Brazil, let's say, put on the boat and shipped to you, for example, might vary considerably. Now, it depends upon a whole lot of things. Upon depends upon economic conditions in Brazil. It depends upon the weather. It depends upon that, that, that. I know the whole bunch of things you can have. And a system of the system we're talking about here, a generative system, if you can, you can basically say, I'm, I'm going to produce, the, providing all of the inputs are there. And we don't really know if all the inputs are there. There could be a storm or other kinds of things that are completely systems that we can't predict directly. But if I don't have all of those things, it's going to make mistakes to a certain degree. But it still might do better than a human might be. They might not include all the inputs. They might not have good ex experts for each of the inputs. Again, it's a way you're, you're making, helping humans make better decisions. So if they got within 10 or 15% of, of the cost of that coffee in, in the next five or 10 years or whatever it is, 
they that would be sufficient to do much better than a, a bunch of a bunch of humans could do. Let's say, and in the past, what you do is you you'd call up all your experts and you'd have them come in and do do analytics on the on the on the data you had to figure out hey what's what's the likely cost of coffee ten years from now, or the likely cost of of the, having to put this new piece of machinery into a plant, install it, and maintain it at this time. So there's all sorts of different kinds of things you include, and if your system, if the system that you've trained, your large language model, includes talk about coffee blending and coffee roasting and, and all of the elements that you have to do, and then shipping the raw materials and decay of the raw materials, all of these kinds of things, if it has some information about all of those, the neural net can basically conform all those things into one space to get you to some reasonable result. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be exactly correct. Well, and that's what's, that's what's interesting to me about this context of using ChatGBT or generative AI for decision-making. Because like in, in some ways, it makes sense of for content creation, of like giving you, I know in, in our space, I've used it as a way to get some first drafts of, of some ideas out. In fact, I, from our conversation, as we started talking about this, I know you shared with, you asked ChatGBT for ideas in MySpace, where you gave it the prompt of, give me creative ideas for using humor to market a new and innovative right. product, right. Yeah. which seems like a great use case of it. I mean, taking a look at the responses to it, it was, mm -hmm. hey, using humor to market a new and innovative product can be a great way to grab attention and create buzz. So this is all ChatGBT, what they said, you can create funny product videos, you can use a humor spokesperson, like the actual responses that they gave are all really strong and I would probably tweak them or maybe add some or remove some, et cetera. But they're like, oh no, this is like, if I was going to write a blog post about this, this would be a great first draft that I now improve mm -hmm. upon and add ideas and connections to. But it seems interesting to me, this idea of like, could you use that same thing of like, chat GBT, what should I, what, what should I do for my next career move? Or what should we do about lagging product sales and this particular product that isn't going well? Like, that seems like it's where, where some of the errors that come in may be a little bit more dangerous. But I mean, where do you see be. the current use of yeah. generative AI? What's the, what's the use case? Yeah, and, and uh, well, there's, there's, there's really a lot of interesting use cases, but they require, again, that you have data that's relevant to the thing that you're attempting to, to improve. Yeah, and so I think, so it does seem like it's, it's a good almost like, early stage of something. It's it's almost like the brainstorming stage right. of right. what could we do about this? How might we solve this problem? And, and that it's not necessarily something to be taken at, at face value in the sense that it's always accurate. Because I think one of the things I wanted to try to understand as we were doing this was also like, how accurate is it? How good is it? And also how confident does it at least sound? Because that's what's interesting is that it's it's not necessarily like, think this might be the answer. It's pretty confident in its responses, at least specifically right. GBT. Because I gave it, so first of all, I asked it to write the biography of Franz Dill. And it said, unfortunately, I couldn't find anyone named Franz Dill in the database. And GBT, the version of it, GBT3, I think only went up to like 2020 in terms of news <laughs> stages right. or that stuff, but it's like, yeah. didn't find it. So I asked it to do it for me, which I know like the, the truth of. So it's really interesting seeing the biography for me because there's a lot that it gets really accurate. And then a lot of the specifics, it's, it gets slightly right. wrong. So it's true that like, it's, so ChatGPT says, Andrew Tarvin is a speaker, author, and humor engineer who's best known for his work on using humor as a tool to enhance communication, mm -hmm. creativity, mm -hmm. and productivity. All right. that is correct. 
gives my birth date, but it's off by a year and a couple of months. It says I have a degree in computer science and mathematics, but it's actually a degree in computer science and engineering, right. but it did get right. the university correct. I claimed I only worked at PNG for four years when it was really six years. Some of the dates are a little bit wrong. So the spe specifics are really wrong including one that it said my third book was Humor That Works, A Seriously Scientific Way to Build Happier, More Productive Teams. I don't have a book titled that, but that right. subtitle is really good. Now I'm like, maybe I need to use that. Maybe I need to use right. a seriously scientific way to build X, Y, or Z. So it is a really fascinating balance between if you were to read this as a like, oh, this is who this person actually is, you would have the wrong impression in terms of age right. and location of some things, et cetera. But to get a new way of thinking or a new angle on something, it seems like really good for that, that first stage of something that is not like, okay, do exactly what it says based on exactly what you shared, but rather use that as a, a starting point. I don't know. Is that what you're starting to see in terms of how you're thinking about it? It's used for, cause like I'm, I'm starting to think about like, not only is there a lot of buzz about it, but if I am an employee, if I'm working at an organization or I'm an, or an entrepreneur, if I'm a leader, like, what am I meant to do with this? Is it just to like be aware of it or does this need to be an integral part of how I do work? Do I like, am I, th is it now a new, almost treated almost like a new employee that I have? Like what's your take on, what do we actually do with what's out there? Is it still super early stage that it's, it's like, keep an eye on it, it's interesting, yeah. but don't do anything with it yet. It's, it's, it's a little early. We addressed some of that that as well, which is to say, wouldn't it be nice to have a way of having people introduced to, to the company, like, in other words, have all information so that they could, if they needed to know the expert on a particular manufacturing technique or a particular particular that they might use in marketing or, or other things, if, if they wanted to do that, where, where could they find that? I mean, what do you do now? I mean, you looked into, you look in LinkedIn or you look, mm -hmm. or you search around, or you talk, talk to the other people there. So in a sense, it is a way to find that, providing that that information has been stored in the system. You're, you're trying to gather a overall knowledge map of what, what the company knows. And part of the issue there, of course, is, well, the company doesn't want to give that away. So there's security issues with regards to that. So you have to be sure it's secure. And it's also, there has to be sort of the internal part of it and then the external part of it. So you have to be able to worry about, if I have a new piece of knowledge, where am I going to put that internally? And one of the things that was suggested, we did a fair amount of work with of, of, of how can we get that information to the key decision makers? So an executive, for example, who wanted to know the expert at XYZ uh, and maybe another one in, in a related expertise that he needed to be able to figure out how much is this going to cost to manufacture this in, in Eastern Europe, for example. Let's say a general, very broad and you could probably ask that, but that but you probably wouldn't get a good good result from even the chat GP things that we have today. That's how, what would it cost to manufacture this in Eastern Europe? Okay, but if I could get to the right three people, and there probably are three people within a large company who just does a lot of manufacturing in that sense. If I could find those three people, they could give you a pretty good result. Now, if you took those three people, information about those three people and, and what they knew and, and put it in the system, you could also get it with the system. In other words, you could put it in by statements within the system, the, the language statements in the system. Well, you can make it do that in a way. And that's, 
because it makes their job easier. It gets back to how do I make decisions easier? You're giving the right data to the right people at the right time as best as you can. Not perfect yet by any means, but still it's a, it's a powerful notion to be able to do that because it gets you your analytics because they can make better decisions ultimately to, based upon that information. Yeah, which I think is the maybe where we're settled at now is that because there's there's a lot of addif- additional things that unfortunately we don't have the time to, to jump into because it's things like, yeah, how do you like, what are the ethical considerations? What are the, like you said, the, right. the data is only, the suggestions are only as good as yeah. the, the data coming in. And there's copyright issues as well of like who owns the copyright for something right. that is generated via AI, especially as you get into like design space or word choice, et cetera. And and like you said, it's still relatively early stages. It seems it's like it's early it's, stages, but moving quite quickly. And you yes. can kind of see that all sorts of people are being pressured to say, hey, we got to make sure we have our own view of this and our version of this, and we got to pump all this data in. So I could see things happening pretty quickly. And that's what our concern is now is like, I learn things every day, which is, for example, just, just this morning, I learned that uh, there's a company called Wolfram that does a lot of analytical capability work. And they built basically a plugin for ChatGP, for example. So they can take this, the analytics that they do, like, like if I want to know all the, tra- the trains running from Eastern to Western Europe, for example, how often they run freight trains, for example, to move goods, for example, I can, I can get that information because the plugin can calculate those distances very rapidly for many, many, many movements. And so there's an example where all I have to do is put a plug in, plug this plugin in it gets the two distances. It, and again, these are estimations, but it estimates the time it takes to move from A to B and how much how much you can get in a rail car and how often does it have to stop and what does it cost, et cetera, et cetera. It has all, these, all this data in it and it can basically, it's a forecast now, a very a complex forecast and it could pull that data out when it needs it and say, oh, if I have to do 10, 10, 10 trains full of this stuff, it's going to cost me X dollars. And that, and that price, because of its components, is increasing by this much, for example, every week or whatever. So there's still forecasts involved, which can be wrong and are changing. But still, if you're getting closer to the fact that I can get a lot of supporting information that I couldn't get. And the, the, the Wolfram folks are doing this stuff internally already. So, so why not just pull their stuff up, plug it in where you need it? And now you can get sort of estimated forecasts of what's going on what's going on yeah and that seems yeah that seems the like at least the use case right now is is exploration an interesting starting point and to at least be conscious of like every every use case for every individual is going to be a little bit different but you might think about okay what's at this point at least on our side with with humor that works we're just kind of like well let's if we're going to start exploring something new, let's start with ChatGPT or or going right. into Bing and just let's see what the reaction is. Let's see what it pulls together and, and use right. that as a way to, to get us a, a starting point. And maybe we start two or three steps further along than we would have if we had done everything completely from right. scratch on our on our own. So yeah, I think it's all, it's changing very, very quickly. It's all fascinating stuff to pay attention to and, and look out for. And so I guess, Franz, as we close up, one last question for you is, as we think about this in the, the space of 
leaders and the people listening, like I said, what is any, any last encouragement, advice, or wisdom you would share with the, the leaders listening to this as to, to what they, what they should make of our current state of AI and, or how they should be looking out for things in the future? Yeah, good, good question. I mean, I, I would, you I would definitely experiment with it in, in a strong way based upon the data that you, how the data that you have can be combined with large amounts of external data that just exists out there, right? It, that exists because it's being generated for all sorts of different purposes. And that includes text. I mean, text is the easy one to, to fall off on because mm-hmm. we generate text every day and there's tons of things generating text every day. So there's lots of it to go against. Now, if we're doing other things that we don't have access to, then we have we have to work that out otherwise. But I would look for those kinds of things where there's lots of data, like in the consumer consumer packaged goods, it's things like what what are trends that people are are interested in and looking for terms that they use, trends that they use, the words that they use that indicate trends that are occurring in language. And we use our language every day in various ways to, to, to show our trends. It's in a sense like an, it's like an advertising thing. It's like a in, in again, back in the 60s, we used capabilities. In 70s and 80s, we used capabilities where we looked at how people responded to various advertising copy. Did they say this? They loved it. They hated it. It was okay. They were whatever it was. But, but now we have this much broader thing that can probably be used almost as is with copy, advertising copy, and other things to say how well do consumers, how often do they say, that's great after they've been shown this an ad or this a pitch or this a product in some way. There are ways that you can drive that with text as it exists in these billions of individual terms that are flying around on computers now. Can we use that? I would suggest yes. If you have to, if you have to generate a lot of your text or it's not easily composable, from other texts, then it's a little harder. And it doesn't mean it's not interesting, but it's it's harder to do. But if the text exists, a la chat GPT and those kinds of things, that's all built out of text of all sorts of external sources. And but not only the text, but the text as it's combined and recombined, then it becomes interesting to see how often do people use those words. We we played with those, some of those kinds of things. We had big com- computer reels of tape that we that we spun to look at what. What what word followed what other word to indicate that this is a great product or they hated it thing? This is like a big extension of that, a really <laughs> wide extension of that to make that to make that useful. And I think there's there's stuff there, and yeah, uh, it's not I, thinking people. It's not AI yet. It's really is it really intelligence? No, but it's 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 getting it's good pretty interesting. I think for any company, just about any company. I agree. No, I agree. It's definitely getting interesting and, and changing by the, the day and sometimes by the hour, it seems. So, Franz, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us on Learnings from Leaders. Great. Enjoyed it. Thanks very much. And that's our show. Like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pgalumpod. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. 
With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. That's it for this week. I've been Andrew Tarvin. And I'm still Roman Segel. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.